Hello and welcome. The following message is from Benediction Church in Hamilton, Ontario. Morning. Our reading this morning is from Matthew chapter 18, verses 21 to 35. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but seventy-seven times. Therefore the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him ten thousand talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave the debt. But when the same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, and seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, Pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. This is the word of the Lord. Well, from what I can tell, there are four main responses to conflict. When conflict happens in a community, there's four main approaches to uh, resolving it. Uh, I'll just kind of walk through these. One is the way of peace faking. Okay, so in any community, there are peace fakers. And and when somebody sins against a peace faker, they ignore it. They would never confront uh, anyone. They act like it didn't bother them. They never mention it because... Good Christians aren't supposed to have conflict. And, uh, you know, I, I actually know many peace fakers, uh, and they're exhausted. It's exhausting to be a peace faker and to carry the weight of everybody else's responsibilities uh, along with you in your life. I wouldn't wish that on anybody, but peace faking is certainly one approach to resolving conflict or handling conflict. Another is the way of peace breaking. Peace breaking. So, peace breakers. They make sure everybody in the community knows what happened. When they are wronged, when they're sinned against, they get really upset. They will forward emails, private emails all around the church. They'll gossip about it. They will uh, send an email to the pastor and other leaders saying what so-and-so did. uh, Because, you know, doggone it, it was wrong. And they've got to make them pay. And everybody needs to know because that person did a bad thing and, and, uh, and they need to pay. So that's the way of peace breaking. There's also the way of peace-taking. Okay, peace-taking. The peace-takers, they don't stick around long enough to resolve the conflict. So when something happens, if they're sinned against, or if they've sinned against somebody else, at the first sign that a, a hard conversation needs to happen, they're gone. And when they leave, the peace-taker takes with them any chance of reconciliation. Now, those are three of the four ways of handling 
conflict. And you know, what it seems to me what they have in common, what these three things have in common, is each of them is an alternative to forgiving. Each of these is a way to rationalize not forgiving another person. Like if I'm a peace breaker, for example. Forgiveness is unfair. It's not right. It's not just. It feels like an outrage, okay? If I'm a peace faker, it's because I could never put you in a situation where I would embarrass you by telling you I forgive you. I could never do that to you, okay? If I'm a peace taker, I'm sort of half in, half out of the community. You know, I've got, kind of got one foot in, one foot out. And that way, leaving will be easier when, it, when inevitably we get into a conflict, you know, if I am committed to leaving, to bailing at the first sign of conflict, that way I'll never get hurt. I'll never need to forgive anyone. So those are, the, those are three of the four approaches to handling conflict. Of course, the fourth one is peacemaking. Peacemaking. And a peacemaker is somebody who says, I want to be reconciled. I want to do the work of reconciliation. Whoever's at fault, whether it's me or you or somebody else, there is a wedge between us. There's a wall between us, a barrier. There's a distance between us. And so if you've sinned against me, I'll take the initiative as a peacemaker. I'll confront you in love to say what happened and how it affected me, and I'll forgive you. And if I've sinned against you, I'll still take the initiative, and I'll move toward you in order to confess and to apologize and show that I'm repenting and, and uh, to ask you to forgive me. And in both cases, whether it's you sinning against me or I've sinned against you, the goal of the peacemaker is reconciliation, for there to be peace between us. And you know, what determines which you are, it seems to me, what what determines the approach that you take to resolving conflict, it seems to me, is your attitude toward forgiveness. How you feel about the idea of forgiving somebody and being forgiven. That determines whether you are a peacemaker, peacetaker, peace breaker or a peace faker. So let's today have a conversation about forgiveness, okay? This is the one I've been waiting for. This is why we launched this series at the beginning of the year. We sort of thought a good way to get the year started would be to have an extended conversation, an extended study about what God's Word says about having reconciled relationships, especially within a community, although it applies more broadly than than that. It applies certainly to parenting, to marriage, uh, to work relationships, and any relationships where there's a risk that one, might, one person might hurt or sin against another person, we have some things to learn. And so in the first week, when we, when we kicked, this, kicked this off, we had a conversation about regrets. We looked at the study of David and Bathsheba and Uriah, and we learned that our sin isn't something to minimize or excuse. And so no longer are we going to look at when, you know, when somebody has a moral failure, we're not going to look at that person and say, well, just, that's fine, just look at David. We're not going to do that. Last week when we were together, we talked about apologies. We learned why and how we should apologize. And today we're talking about forgiveness. And in our conversation today about forgiveness, what I want to do is tackle three questions. What is forgiveness? Why does God care so much that we forgive one another? And then how can I know if I've done it? All right? What is forgiveness? What do we mean when we're talking about forgiveness? Why, does it, why is it so important to God that we forgive one another? And the third question is, how can I know if I've really, truly forgiven you? So, let's begin with our first question. What is forgiveness? What is forgiveness? So there's a few things we want to see here. First of all, we want to see that forgiveness is what Jesus asked the Father to do 
as Jesus hung on the cross. Okay? That's what Jesus, forgiveness is what Jesus asked the Father to do as he hung on the cross. Familiar passage, uh, Luke 23. They crucified him there, Jesus, along with the criminals, one on his right side, the other on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Now, when he said that, when he asked his father to forgive, he was not trying to change the father's mind about you. He wasn't trying to persuade the father to do something that the father wasn't already inclined to do. You, okay, you with me on that? When Jesus said, Father, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing, he's asking the Father to follow through on a plan, on a commitment, on a covenant that they had made a long, long time before. A commitment to forgive sin because a substitute stood in our place and he settled the debt for us. He settled the debt himself. That's, that's kind of Christianity 101. That is the Christian message. Our sin is forgiven because Jesus the sinless one, suffered and he died and he rose in our place. And that's what it means for God to say, I forgive you. God's forgiveness looks like God hanging on a cross. Okay, that's God's forgiveness demonstrated. God on a cross. Second thing I want us to to hear is that forgiveness is required if we're going to be in community together. Like it's just, it's what we've got to do. If we're going to be in community together, we've got to forgive. This is from Colossians chapter 3. Therefore, As God's chosen people, holy and dearly beloved, uh, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Verse 13, bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a a grievance against someone. And it assumes, he assumes that's going to happen all the time. Forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Now, Forgive as the Lord forgave you. So how did the Lord forgive you? How did he do? How did he forgive you? He's forgiven you freely, generously, permanently, completely. That's how he's forgiven us, and that's how we are to forgive each other. And so forgiveness is what happens when I release you from having to pay me back for how you hurt me or how you sin against me. You remember a couple of weeks ago when we were talking about David and Bathsheba and Uriah, we, we saw that sin incurs a debt, okay? When I sin against you, it puts a, a wedge between us. There's damage, there's harm that needs to be repaired. There's pain that needs to be healed from. And so I incur this debt to fix that. And forgiveness says, I release you from that debt. I forgive that debt. I won't make you pay that debt. That's forgiveness. Okay? One more thing we need to see about what forgiveness is, is that forgiveness is not reconciliation. And I think this is an important note to to observe. Forgiveness is not the same as reconciliation. Okay? Reconciliation happens when both of us move toward each other in peace. The victim and the offender, they move toward each other in peace as peacemakers. And I would differentiate these two things, forgiveness and reconciliation, this way. I would say reconciliation needs forgiveness— but forgiveness does not need reconciliation. Okay? Reconciliation needs forgiveness, but forgiveness does not need reconciliation. Like, for example, a story that comes to mind is I I know a woman whose husband cheated on her multiple times. Awful. Just a huge betrayal. She was devastated, 
and he left her and it ended the marriage. He began a new life with this other woman and uh, there was no reconciliation between them. No hope of reconciliation, but in time she forgave him. It wasn't easy to do, but she did. She forgave him. She said, I can either hold on to all this pain and bitterness and rage. I can, I can hold on to it until I find the right opportunity to make, to, to make him pay for what he's done. Doggone it. I can, I'm going to make him pay, and I'm not going to let it go until then. Or, or I can forgive him now, and I can release that debt to Jesus and be free. And she did. Now, was it easy? No, of course it wasn't easy. But she, she was so glad that she did. And so reconciliation, again, reconciliation takes both sides, but forgiveness only takes one. And so I really appreciate this quote from uh, Pastor Tim Keller who said, Forgiveness is a form of voluntary suffering. In forgiving rather than retaliating, you make a choice to bear the cost. It's a promise before God not to take revenge on a wrongdoer for his or her sin against you. Okay? It's a choice, it's a promise before God not to take revenge on a wrongdoer for his or her sin against you. That's what we mean by forgiveness. That's what we're talking about. And, and, and forgiveness is very important to God. It's very important to the Lord. And, and so the second question we want to deal with is, why? Why does it matter so much to God that we forgive one another? Why is it so important to him? And, and, and first, what I want to make sure that we are on the same page about is that it is. Let's be crystal clear that it is important to him. Okay, for this, we'll go to Matthew 6. And Jesus is teaching his disciples about prayer. And we say the Lord's Prayer together every time we, we gather like this. But what we don't say is the part that came right after that. So we read in Matthew 6, Forgive our, us our debts, sorry, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But, but, if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. And so Jesus is saying here that to the degree that we forgive others, we will be forgiven. We'll, God, will be, God will forgive us. And to the degree that we refuse to forgive others, to that degree, God will not forgive us. That's a hard word, eh? That's, that's hard. If we forgive, God will forgive. If we do not forgive, God will not forgive. And so God really cares that we forgive one another. A lot is at stake in our choice to forgive or not to forgive. And we should ask, why? Why is that? Why is it so important to him? And so for this, I'll invite you to come back with me to um, the parable of the unforgiving servant. Some versions say the unmerciful servant. This is in Matthew 18. Okay. Jesus is asked a question by Peter. The apostle Peter says, Jesus, how many times do I need to forgive my brother? Because he keeps hurting me. He keeps sinning against me. He's not, he should know better. He's not learning his lesson. How many times do I have to forgive him? Like seven times? And Jesus' answer to him is this parable. I tell you, not seven times, but 77, 70 times seven times. Peter wants like a, the minimum. What is the, what is, what is the limit of forgiveness I, I'm required to offer? Jesus says, no, no, 70 times seven times. And what he doesn't mean is that at the 491st time, you're allowed not to forgive. His answer is this story. And so come with me to Matthew 18, and we'll notice a few things uh, as we get into it. So this, first of all, so this is, um, 
this, in this parable, just a few things to notice, the king represents God. Okay? The king represents God. This, there is a servant in this story who owes the king just an insane amount of money. Just an insane debt, like an incalculable debt. Commentators say that this is roughly equal to about 190,000 years wages. Okay? We take about 190,000 years to pay off this debt with a, a normal salary at the time. And so this is an, just an unimaginable debt. It's impossible. Uh, it, uh, you know, it, 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 this, is a, this is a story about a king whose grace is incalculable. Okay? Another thing for us to notice is that the, there's a, this first servant, and he begs for more time. So his, his, um, his debt comes due, and the, serv- the, the king will, wants to throw him in jail until he's finished paying off his, his debt, and the, the servant asks for more time. His ask is, please give me more time. And the king comes back, with him, comes back to him with, with a, an answer that's even greater than what he asked for. Because he doesn't come back and say, sure, I'll give, uh, I'll give you more time. What he says is, no, I'm not going to give you more time. Instead, I forgive your debt altogether. Okay? Yes, you owe the kingdom just an incalculable uh, amount of money. You owe my treasury. You owe, the, you owe the kingdom just this insane amount of money. But that's no longer your problem. That's my problem now. I'm making it my problem. Okay? You are forgiven. Now, then... Along comes, after this first servant has been shown mercy, along comes this second servant, and the second servant owes a debt to the first servant. And we learn that his debt is far, far less than the debt that the first servant owes to the king. The second servant's debt is only about four months' wages. So this is a ma- very manageable debt. It's a very manageable, uh, very forgivable uh, amount. In time, it could be repaid, you know, it could be forgiven without losing, without co- it costing uh, too much. And then what happens is, the second servant goes to the first servant. <clears throat> and he brings to the first servant the same request that the first servant brought to the king. Can I have more time? Please give me more time in order to pay off this debt. So the same situation, different people. Same re- uh, request, but a different size debt. And after he's been forgiven... So unbelievably by the king, we who read the story, we expect that this first servant is going to say, of course, you're forgiven. Like, I've been shown so much mercy, I've been shown so much grace, I've been forgiven so much, of course I'll forgive you. But that's not what happens. And of course, as we read, the unmerciful servant turns him down, throws him in jail. He throws the second servant in jail. Well, Jesus finishes the story uh, with the king's response. He says, Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? Shouldn't you have also had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? Now, we might stumble at this part. We might struggle with what happens at the end because Jesus says, and this is a hard word, but Jesus says, In anger, his master delivered him over to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. And Jesus says, So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. And to me, it sounds like the first servant, or it might sound like the first servant lost his forgiveness. He had his, his forgiveness taken away. 
It was revoked. And we think, wow, God might withdraw his forgiveness. We read that and we think, like, God, God might de-forgive you. And that's scary. That's horrifying. That's horrifying if, it, if it's true. Now, I'm convinced that that's not what's happening here, and I want to dig into the story a little bit and see why. Because this is actually the story of two debts and not just one for that first servant, okay? It's a story of two, de- two kinds of debts, uh, not just one. See, the king has forgiven— the king has forgiven the first servant for his whole debt— and that's gone. It's wiped away. Everything that the servant owed up until that point, it's all wiped away. It's all forgiven. And when he was forgiven, that servant incurred a new debt. He took on a second debt, a new debt, a new calling, a new responsibility, a new mission, a debt to forgive his brother from the heart. Okay? Do you see that? That that became his second debt. That became his second, his new responsibility. And when we've had that first debt forgiven, we accept the second one. That's just what happens. We, we gladly accept it. We can't help ourselves. We've been shown such grace. Of course we'll forgive. That's how it's supposed to happen. But not with the unforgiving servant. Not with the unmerciful servant. His cruelty to the other servant shows us he's refused, he's rejected that second debt. He's really excited to have had that first debt forgiven, but he refuses to accept that second debt, that second mission. And so he's defaulted on it. He's rejected it. He's, he's, he's rejected both debts, as a matter of fact. And that's a big problem. It's a big problem between him and, and the king. He wants to be forgiven for both debts. He wants to be forgiven for his first debt, and he wants to be released from the second debt to show forgiveness and, 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 and mercy he wants to be debt-free. Except it doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. Now, somebody who loves you, somebody who, who has spent some time following Jesus will tell you that everyone is a debtor. Everyone is a debtor, okay? Everyone who is a follower of Jesus is a debtor, okay? Being a Christian, being a follower of Jesus is not a choice between having obligation or having responsibility and having no obligation or no responsibility. No, that's not how it works. Everyone will live with one debt or another. Everybody lives with one debt or another. One is the debt to earn forgiveness. The other is the debt to show forgiveness. Like either I'll be a debtor to God, I'll try to pay off the massive, unimaginable debt that I owe him by doing all sorts of good things in my life and trying to avoid all sorts of bad things, trying to avoid all sorts of bad things, and that's how I'll live my life. I'll try to pay off my debt to God. Some people will live that way. But, if, if I, but I could spend my whole life living that way, doing all sorts of good things, avoiding all sorts of bad things, and I would fail to earn God's forgiveness. But the other debt is a debt to you. I could be a debtor to you, my brothers and sisters, and I could accept the debt to love you, to care for you, to forgive you from the heart. Seventy times, seven times. The debt to forgive you, like, every time. And so all of us is going to live with one of those debts or the other, but it won't be both. And God gives us a choice. He gives us a choice of what debt we will Oh, which debt would you rather owe? Would you rather owe the debt to earn God's forgiveness or the debt to show God's forgiveness? And I think I need to pause here for a moment because I think that I've been at this church thing long enough to know 
that there are people who believe that God is indifferent. Some of us believe God couldn't care less whether we live in debt to him, trying to pay off our debt to him, or showing forgiveness to others. We think that he doesn't care. He doesn't care whether we go off into judgment or if we spend our lives showing people the kingdom. Maybe some of you here. Maybe you think, God is indifferent. He doesn't, he doesn't have a preference in terms of what happens to me. And I want you to know it's not true. It's not true. Come back with me to the parable for a minute. Uh, because in forgiving the first debt and bestowing the second debt, the king has made a choice. He's chosen mercy instead of judgment. Okay, you with me on that? He's chosen mercy over judgment. That's really important because the king could have refused to forgive the first debt. He could have said, that's my money. I want justice. I want what I'm owed. I want my money. And, and, and failing that, the king would have had every right to send that servant to jail forever. Instead, the king, who, who represents God, he shows us God prefers mercy over judgment. God prefers grace over punishment. He does. But given the choice, God could have a perfect world. He could, right? God could have a perfect world, one with no sinners, because he sent us all the way into judgment. If he wanted to, he could have that. Instead, he says, no, I forgive you. Now go and do the same. God has chosen mercy over judgment, and that's why we forgive. And if I don't forgive, if I won't forgive you, what I'm actually doing is I'm holding you to a higher standard than God has held me. If I refuse to forgive you, I'm holding you to a higher standard than God has held me. I'm saying, God can forgive me for my sin, but I can't forgive you for yours. I deserve to be forgiven. You don't. My sin is forgivable. Yours, no way. Yours is way worse than mine. I could never forgive yours, even if God has forgiven mine. And of course, that's wrong. It's a, it's, it's a lie. God has forgiven me. God has forgiven Mike Molesky for way more than I could ever need to forgive you for. Okay? You could spend your whole life sinning against me in all kinds of ways. And your debt to me wouldn't come close to the debt that I owed God. And God has forgiven me anyway. Isn't that crazy? He's forgiven me generously, completely, permanently, freely. And, and, and I think if that's really landed for us, if that message has really landed, if I've really received that message, that good news, I'll forgive you. I'll forgive you. And so God's forgiveness changes us, or it hasn't happened. We forgive each other to show the world what God is like. That's why God cares so much that we forgive each other. That's why God cares so much that we forgive each other. Now the last question I want to deal with, how can I know if I've truly forgiven somebody? How can I know if I've truly forgiven you? Uh, and I think there are three areas that change, three dynamics that change once I've truly forgiven you. Uh, the first is in me, the second is in the community, and the third is between us, one-on-one. -on -one. So let me talk about those quick for a second. Uh, the first is, is in me. The first change is in me. Like, I, I can know that I've forgiven you if I'm no longer punishing you in my mind. Now, quick question. You don't have to answer this out loud. But how many of us, when somebody hurts us, 
they like replay the tape over and over in your, in your mind, and you think about all the things you should have said differently, or all the things you could have done differently in order to get them back. How many people do that? Okay, yeah, of course you do. I, and I do too. That's totally normal. And one of the ways that I can know that I've forgiven you is that I can stop replaying that tape in my mind. I can stop replaying the movie with all of its alternate endings. When I am at that point, if I've forgiven you, I'm saying, yes, that was terrible, and Jesus died for that. And I'm done obsessing over it. I release you from my mental prison. And when I can do that, that's one of the ways that I'll know that I've truly forgiven you. Okay? So one of the ways that it, one of the things that changes is, is I'm changed. Also, there's change in the community. The community has changed. Because before I forgave you, I might have behaved like a peacebreaker, and I'd gossip about you, or I'd slander you behind your back, or I'd cancel you, and I would turn people against you. Or if I'm a peacetaker, I might disappear and leave, and then all of a sudden there's this giant elephant in the room left behind in the, in the community that makes things awkward for the rest of us. If I refuse to forgive you, even though it was between us, even though it was the thing be- just between two people, it affects the community. But if I've really forgiven you, I'm going to leave that offense, I'm going to leave that sin in the grave. I won't dig it back up. I won't mention it all the time. I won't weaponize it. I won't use it to make you look bad in the eyes of the community. And what's going what to what's happen is the community will be safe for people who mess up. It's going to make for a safe community for people who are imperfect, who make mistakes, and who need to be forgiven. Okay? The forgiveness that you show me, the forgiveness that I show you, changes, it affects the whole community. So that's another way we're going to know that we've forgiven, is how it shows up in, in the community. And the third way is, is our relationship has changed. Things change between us, one-on-one. Before I forgave you, there was this wedge between us. There was distance. There was a, a wall. There was a, there was a barrier between us. You owed me a debt to fix it, to repair the damage. But instead, when I forgave you, I said, I choose to live as though Jesus really died for that. I I choose to live as though Jesus paid your debt for you. And so I won't force you to pay a debt that he's already settled. Okay, that's the choice of, of forgiving somebody. And so I move, if I've done that, I move toward you in love. I move toward you in mercy, even though... It's probably going to happen again sooner or later. Isn't that right? Even though we're probably going to hurt each other sooner, again, sooner or later, I, I move towards you, we move towards one another, because relationships are risky. Isn't that right? Relationships are, are risky. But when we're that close, that's how I can know that I've forgiven you. That's how I can know that we're forgiven. The, that wedge that is gone, the distance is gone, when we are close enough that a conflict will hurt again, God forbid, when we're close enough that a, a conflict would hurt again, that's how I can know I've forgiven you. Now, uh, next week when we're together, we're going to wrap up this series with a conversation with some friends of ours. Some, many of you know them. It's Graham and Jen Watt. They are um, far more knowledgeable about these things than I am. They uh, they're counselors who do a lot of work with individuals and with churches in the area of like spiritual abuse, um, even marriage conflict, and a big part of their work is reconciliation and healing from conflict. And I'm going to sit down with them and have some questions to share with them and hear their thoughts 
you're welcome to, if you have some questions about this stuff that you've heard or things that we haven't had time to, to touch on, feel free to email me during the week and share those questions, and I'll ask them next week when we're together doing our, our interview with Graham and Jen. But as I close, I want to, I guess I want to paint a picture for you of a couple of different kinds of community, okay? A couple of different kinds of community. Think of these as two different communities. One is a community where everybody seems to get along. Everybody seems to get along. They never seem to disagree. From the outside, it looks like a really great, you know, Christian community. When somebody asks, how are you? The answer is always fine. Or every once in a while, someone maybe quietly disappears, and then the others learn that it's because there was a conflict, and they chose not to deal with it. Or, there's a couple of people in the community that everybody knows, you just don't talk to them, you don't mention so-and-so, because they will lose it. Okay? And there's no need to ask for forgiveness in this community, because there's never any conflict. There's no real opportunity, because they kind of hold each other at arm's length. Now, here's a different kind of community. In this community, they know and they love each other well most of the time. Most of the time. And, and that love, that, that closeness that they have, it's actually hard fought. And it's been tested through conflict and forgiveness and reconciliation. It's been tested. And they've had to get across the table from each other from time to time, or have coffee and, and talk about what happened and share how it made them feel. And it was hard. And there were tears And they don't always agree in this community. They don't always see eye to eye, and they don't expect to. They even have leaders in this community who've messed up, and they've confessed, and they've apologized. And some people wonder, like, from the outside, they look at this community, they wonder, like, what is wrong with these people? What is wrong with them? Like, how many times is this going to happen? That they treat each other this way? How, how many times is this going to happen? Well, 70 times, 7 times. That's how many times. So in this community, people are close enough that there's always a risk that, th that they might offend each other or hurt each other again. But in this community, they believe it's worth the risk. Now, one of these communities looks like a, a nice Christian community. The other one, it seems to me, is practicing the way of Jesus. One of these communities is, is technically a church. Yes, it's a church. The other one, it seems to me, is being the church. And, and, and I, it seems to me this is the kind of community that the city needs. This is the kind of community I dream for us to be. This is the kind of community in which I want to raise my children and I want to see you raise yours. I think that this happens. This is possible. This is available to us. It's as close as the choice to forgive each other as we've been forgiven. Let me end with these take-it-home questions. The first one is this. Who is someone that you've been unable or perhaps unwilling to forgive? How might life be different for you if you were to forgive this person once and for all? Second question. Which way of handling conflict, which approach best describes you? Are you a peacetaker, peace breaker, peace faker, or a peacemaker? Which are you most, like, most likely to be? Which of those best describes you? Third question. Do you actually believe God prefers mercy over judgment? Like, do you actually, truly, in your heart of hearts, believe that? Or do you think that God is actually just indifferent to what happens to us? Last question is this. Do you find it harder to apologize to a person that you have wronged? Or do you find it harder to forgive someone who has 
wronged you. Thanks for listening to this message from Benediction Church in Hamilton, Ontario. Feel free to copy and share these resources, but please don't alter the content in any way. We invite you to visit us online again soon at www.benediction.church for more teaching and information about how you can join us in serving and praying that it would be in Hamilton as it is in heaven.